So welcome to Table Talk, and in this episode we're going to deal with a very controversial issue indeed. We're going to read a passage from the Bible where Paul defines woman's ministry in the visible church. Our text is from 1 Timothy 2, and verse 11 to verse 15. Paul writes there, Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Let's establish one very important fact right at the very beginning. The Bible has a very high regard for women. In ancient Judaism, women were valued and respected and generally well-treated, far more so than in the pagan world of that day. But they were not permitted to have equality with men in worship, so they couldn't enter the synagogue service, they could not participate in the prayers, they could only watch from a distance. Jewish men would pray every morning, thanking God that they were not born as a Gentile or a slave or a woman. Now that was a great contrast with the pagan world, where women were treated much differently. Indeed, women were mere chattels. Women were owned by their husbands with little value other than to produce children. They were little more than slaves. In pagan religion, women were appointed as priestesses in the pagan temples, but their role was very little more in prostitution. So in stark contrast to both those cultural groups, paganism and Judaism, Christianity reflected the biblical view of the high worth of women. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul issues instructions for the support of widows within the church and warns that older women are to be regarded as mothers and the younger ones as sisters. And unlike the Jews and the pagans, the spiritual status of women, Paul says, is exactly the same as their male counterparts. If you read Galatians 3 and 28, you will see that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. A very high view of womanhood indeed. Despite the attack of feminists and liberals, Paul was no misogynist. But he insists there is one single thing that a woman shouldn't do. So let's explore his teaching and his message through Timothy to the woman of Ephesus, and, therefore, by extension, to us. I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata Podcast. So the first thing that we learn about a woman's ministry here is that it is a a compliant ministry. It has to comply with the scriptures. And here Paul says, Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. 
remember there was a woman who wanted to ask one of her church elders a question. She said, I don't understand that verse in 1 Corinthians 14. You know that verse that says the woman should remain silent in the church? The elder thought for a moment. Oh, he says, that's all right. You don't need to understand it. Just obey it. Well, we want to obey it too, but we do want to understand why. So the first thing that we see here is that women are to learn. Jewish boys, of course, were taught the Torah, uh, were schooled in religion, learned the traditions of the Talmud and the Mishnah. Jewish girls were not expected to learn anything about their faith. Their lessons would have concerned practical subjects, child-rearing, housework, so on. But Christian women are to learn. We are all, and Christian women are no different in this respect than Christian men, we are all to be theological scholars. We are to learn, both men and women, quietly and submissively. In fact, with a great deal of submission, Paul says here, with full submission, with all submission, with the highest possible degree of submission. Do you know, might I suggest that the stop talking and start actively learning might be good advice for all of us, men and women alike. A pastor once complained to me that his people were so intoxicated with their own opinions that they were virtually unteachable. Listening quietly and submissively is the beginning of learning. But despite the fact that women and men are to learn uh, to be theologically competent, women are not to teach. And that is the one single thing that women are forbidden from doing, and it was a law obeyed without dispute in the church for 2,000 years. A woman is not to teach in the gathered church. That's because the most authoritative thing that we do in our act of worship, which Paul is regulating here, is to declare the word of God. Preaching is never a quiet talk. Preaching is not a time for reflection or sharing or a conversation. Preaching is a bold declaration of God's truth as set out in his word. It is thus and thus saith the Lord. So to read and to preach and to teach the word of God is an authoritative task. And a woman is not to take such authority or to assert authority over a man in a gathered service of the church. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 2 Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Furthermore, a woman simply cannot be a pastor, for that very reason. Some people might argue that Paul is simply dealing with the situation in a local church. But the teaching he's giving here is not unique to Ephesus, where Timothy was the pastor. It's a universal principle. He tells the Corinthians also in 1 Corinthians 14 and 34, Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And when Paul teaches on headship to the Corinthians, he tells them that this is not just for them, but for all the churches. First Corinthians 11 and 16, he says, But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. But what about missionaries? Where would the church be without female Sunday school teachers? Where would the church be without women who are able to teach? There's no dispute about that. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. 
this passage has been about prayer. In the overall context of the church, the gathered church meeting together for worship as the body of Christ. In fact, later on, he's going to tell Titus in chapter 2, Titus 2 and 3, the older women likewise that they be reverent in behaviour, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. The older women are to teach the younger women godly ways. Women are to teach, just not in the gathered church. So let's look at the next couple of verses. Paul tells us that this is a creation ministry. Verse 13 to verse 14 in our passage. Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. So the apostle introduces here the theological background to his argument. It has everything to do with the created order. The way that God ordained things at the beginning, the way God made us, and our Heavenly Father who made us always knows what is best for us. Paul brings together two very early events, and he brings them to our attention. Eve's creation and Eve's deception by the serpent. Let's look at them. Paul talks here about Eve's creation. How was Eve created? She was created out of man. Genesis chapter 2, 21 to 24, contains the story of her creation. It tells us that the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It was the very first marriage. So Matthew Henry, the Puritan commentator, said, and I quote, Eve was not taken out of Adam's head to rule him, neither out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, near his heart to be loved by him. That created order, the man, then the woman, will affect our lives. It affects our appearance. According to the scriptures, a man should not look like a woman or vice versa. Deuteronomy 22 and verse 5 says a woman shall not wear a man's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing, for whoever does these things is utterly repulsive to the Lord your God. The difference is even to be noticed in the gathering of the church. In 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 3, Paul says, But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. 1 Corinthians 11 and 10, For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. So our appearance is affected by the created order, as are our relationships. Here's Jesus teaching on human sexuality and marriage in Matthew 19 and verse 4 to 6. We just read a couple of lines from it. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And not only will it reach into those areas of our lives, but God's created order will affect ministry. Titus 1, 5 to 6 
And Paul writes to Titus, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. Elders are to be men, men with just one wife. But he looks also at Eve's deception, Eve's falling into sin. Now that's important. What was the temptation that deceived Eve? Here it is from Genesis 3 and 1. He, that's the serpent, said to the woman, Has God indeed said... You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. What's happening here? He's asking Eve to doubt God's word. Has God really said this? Casting doubt upon God's word is the oldest trick in the devil's book of deception and lies. And isn't that exactly what the feminists and the liberals and the woman clergy are doing? Because God plainly says in his word, in black and white, I suffer not a woman to teach or usurp authority over a man. And they say in reply, but did God really say that? It's so easy to fall into sin. By not accepting the plain, obvious word of God at face value by trying to warp it and twist it to suit your own ideas and your own philosophies. First Corinthians 11 and 2 Paul says, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. And finally, in this section of the text, Paul talks about a covenant ministry. Verse 15. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with self-control. Verse 15 always been challenging. What did Paul mean about a woman being saved in childbearing? Well, it has everything to do with the covenant of grace about bringing up our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and what a godly and what a good calling and what a wonderful vocation that is. In 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 14, Paul writes, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. And here's the important bit. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. The Children of a Christian home are holy children. They're raised in a godly home. And because they're raised in a godly home, their lives and their attitudes and their worldview should be totally different from children raised in a secular environment. It's probably a very simple explanation to Paul's words here in verse 15. A well-known and local Northern Ireland college professor was speaking once as part of a panel at a minister's conference. And a question was put to the panel. When did the panel members first realise the importance of the doctrines of grace? Each panel member gave their answer. Maybe it was a book they read. Maybe it was a service they attended or a conference they were at. And then it came to the professor's turn. And his reply was, at my mother's knee. What an answer. Paul reminded Timothy of this too in 2 Timothy 1 and 5. He says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, 
which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Even William Barclay, a liberal who disputes this passage, has to conclude women will find salvation not in addressing meetings, but in motherhood, which is their crown. A woman is queen within her own home. And what of those women who have no children of their own? Their calling, as we saw before, is to be a mother and a friend and a teacher to the younger women, to be a godly influence on them as a mother would be to a child. Now, what a challenging ministry that is. You know, you see the pastor for an hour every Sunday. He has 25 minutes or so to teach you the way of salvation and to influence your life in a godly manner. Mothers, have 16 or more years to be a godly influence on lives, right from when their hearts are tender and young, all the way through growing up and puberty and into those awkward teenage years and then on into adulthood, years when you can bring the gospel to bear on their lives, when you can give theological and doctrinal instruction, when you can catechize your children and when you're doing all of that, You really have to be real, no pretense, for they see your actions and they hear your words and they observe your life 24 hours a day, seven days a week. What a huge challenge. There's something interesting in the verse. In verse 15, Paul talks in the singular, nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing. And then he goes into the plural, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. I think that's important because it's not just the mother's responsibility. It's the responsibility of parenthood. and That includes the father's. The traits of the godly parent are given here by Paul. Faith and love and holiness and self-control. Faith is the gift of God by which we appropriate the covenant promises. And faith to believe that the children that the Lord has given to us are the heirs of the promise of salvation. As we are taught in Acts chapter 2 and verse 39. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. And love, for it takes a great deal of love to exercise this covenant ministry. Love that loves people who are sinners, as our children are. Is your wee son selfish? Is your daughter pouting and awkward? Does he tell you lies and disrespect his parents? Does she act greedily and want whatever the other children have? That's because he or she is a sinner, and so are we. And we must love him. We must love her as Christ loved us, as sinners and holiness. Not that we have any intrinsic holiness of our own. We're justified saints and simultaneously we are sinners. But Christ's holiness is imputed to us. And we must continually point our children to him and they must see him indwelling us through the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And we need that self-control to do that. Why do we need that? 
working with our children can be extremely difficult and days will come when we are impatient with them because we're dealing with children growing up in a world where they're being bombarded with the influences of this present world from their liberal teachers and their peer groups and their entertainment sources. Parents will need self-control and that's where we often fall flat on our faces with frustration. We must ask the Lord for all of these graces, that the fruits of the Holy Spirit would be evident in our lives as parents. Well, we've covered a lot of ground in this episode, but it's all important. All of the scriptures are inspired, not just the bits we like. And so when Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, he's not being a misogynist. And he says it twice, for it is repeated in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34 to 35, let your woman keep silence in the churches. It is a shame for women to speak in the church. Paul tells us why a woman is not to teach or preach. He tells us that it is because of the order that God has established in this world. And he elevates the real ministry of women to be a teacher to the young, to children and to other women. Like that woman who asked her elder about these verses. We don't even need to understand it. It's good that we do, but we really just need to obey. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.